are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Falling Down, which came out in 1993 and was directed by Joel Schumacher. It stars Michael Douglas, Robert Duvall, Barbara Hershey, Rachel Ticketon, Tuesday Weld, Frederick Forrest, Lois Smith, Ebro Smith, Michael Paul Chan, D.W. Moffat, Steve Park, Kimberly Scott, and Raymond Barry. The genre would be psychological thriller. When someone does this... Where are you going? You pay? Go. Give us your briefcase. Give me some money. There's other people waiting to use the phone here. Get off my golf course! I want to be a parking lot of buy a ticket! Don't you want to do this? You forgot the briefcase! On February 26th, Bill Foster does what you always wanted to. Cool. Academy Award winner Michael Douglas, falling down, rated off. This movie belongs to a long-running tradition of thrillers and or dramas focusing on disaffected loners who have had that one bad day, which results in them just going mad. Because as Billy Loomis once said, we all go a bit mad sometimes. Or was that Norman Bates? (laughs) We all go a little mad sometimes. And therein lies one of the traps of doing this particular subgenre. From Taxi Driver all the way to previous episode Joker, it's all been done. At his core, Michael Douglas's Bill Foster is a very tropey character type. And even 30 years ago, it was a challenge to put a fresh spin on this sort of put-upon loner who lashes out. You see, Bill has been, quote, wronged on multiple fronts. He was an engineer for a defense contractor for several decades, but lost his job due to Cold War cutbacks. And he was recently not only divorced from his wife, Beth, played by Barbara Hershey, and young daughter, Adele, but she has also filed a restraining order against him. And on this particular morning in L.A., it's hot. And he's sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic with no air conditioning. Hey! Where do you think you're going? Going home. Hey! Hey! So he just up and leaves his car on the road and embarks on a long walk through various neighborhoods, meeting various characters. He ransacks a local bodega after the Korean store owner, Mr. Lee, played by Michael Park Chan, giving a more clever performance than this role likely deserves, informing him of prices for soda that he finds objectionable. Take the money! You think I'm a thief? No. See, I'm not the thief. I'm not the one charging 85 cents for a stinking soda! You're the thief! Just standing up for my rights as a consumer. I'm rolling back prices to 1965. What do you think of that? Donuts. Package of six. How much? Dollar twelve. Oh. Too much. He gets into fisticuffs with a couple of local gangsters in a park, inadvertently stealing their bag of guns. Then he shoots up a fast food restaurant, just won't serve him breakfast after 11.30. Hey, 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 hey. Mister, where are you going? No, 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 no. You sit down there and you finish your lunch. Come on. Everybody just just relax and take it easy. Come on. Why don't you eat your lunch, please? Eat your lunch. You all need your vitamins, A's and B's. And... It's, all, it's an accident. It's an accident. It's an accident. The, the trigger, it's sensitive. It's, it's okay. 
It's all right. It's just it's a sensitive trigger. Then he destroys a payphone in front of a dude who complains that he took too long. Then he mocks a greedy homeless man who claims he's hungry while eating a sandwich. <laughs> and he then encounters a neo-Nazi surplus store owner, played to the hilt by Frederick Forrest, in this film's most batshit performance, which is saying something, who tries to recruit him with Nazi paraphernalia, and then gets violent on Bill when he refuses. And that's when things get truly homicidal. What kind of vigilante are you? I am not a vigilante. I am just trying to get home to my little girl's birthday. And if everybody will stay out of my way, then nobody will get hurt. Fuck you! Who the fuck are you? Are you fucking with me? I am You're just disagreeing with, with you! In America, we have the freedom of speech, the right to disagree! Fuck you and your freedom! Who the fuck are you? Yeah, this film is not subtle. <laughs> Nor do I feel like it's even trying to be realistic. The late, great Joel Schumacher directed this, and he brings his typically over-the-top style to it. Just a couple of years before he would, of course, start to sink his career directing bad Batman movies. Like previous episode, Batman Forever. You see, this version of L.A. is grimy, dirty, and run down. To the point where you're not sure if you buy it, but it all still feels very cinematic. It's a compelling world to explore at the very least. And he's helped very much by production designer Barbara Ling, whose overall filmography might be a bit mixed. I mean, she actually did those two Batman movies with him. But with the right kind of idiosyncratic, stylized productions, Less Than Zero, The Doors, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, her results are amazing, which is certainly the case here. The gaudy fast food restaurant, the fictional Whammy Burger, as it's called. The giant graffiti-covered rock which Bill sits on in that park. Everything just looks like a slight exaggeration of what you would expect. And speaking of the police... The other major character here is a police detective, Pendergast, on his last day before retirement, played very sharply by Robert Duvall. He's kind of a mirror image of Douglas's disturbed loner in that he also apparently feels very wronged by life. His wife is emotionally disturbed, and he lost a young child due to tragic circumstances. But Pendergast deals with it all by just apparently rolling with things. Okay, okay, let's just try and relax. Now, what did he steal from? Did not steal. Attack me, okay? Say you're gonna fix my prices. Bust up my merchandise. He didn't rob you? The guy crazy. I told him, take my money. He said no. He called me thief. Then, then he break up my merchandise. Then he buy a soda and take off. He bought a soda, you mean he paid for it? I told you, the guy crazy. I'm sorry, Prendergast. I thought this was a robbery. Okay. Come on, Mr. Lee, we have to go talk to somebody else. Why? You were assaulted, Mr. Lee. This man works robberies. Robberies. That's right. Come on. Baseball bat. What's that? The guy take my baseball bat. You sell baseball bats. No, 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 no. Keep a defense. You know, on the counter. Defense. You mean you stole your baseball bat, but he paid for the soda. Oh, this guy's discriminating. Apparently, it's him who gets an early inkling of Bill Foster's growing reign of terror that day, and he starts to track him. We actually spend as much screen time with him as we do with Douglas. And the film is better for it, as this becomes more of a parallel storyline between these two men in the second half. Duval is just sublime in this role as a much-needed grounded presence amidst all of the growing chaos. This detective is clearly both intrigued and entertained by this case, and it's fun to watch him put the pieces together throughout the movie, especially one winning moment when he realizes the through line between Foster's car being abandoned and his first stop at that bodega, when he matches the license plate with the person. It's defense, D-F-E-N-S. So when he climbs a hill near the car and he discovers the shop with Mr. Lee cleaning just outside its stoop, he playfully shouts at him from a distance. Yo, Mr. Lee! Defense! <laughs> 
And it's just one example of how entertaining this story is, despite the very dark subject matter. Tonally, this movie has some biting humor, which generally lands, and so much of that comes from very strong performances from both Duvall and Douglas. Douglas plays this disturbed man with minimal sympathy. Foster might have some legit gripes with the world around him, but he's clearly in the situation that he's in because of his own unchecked domineering behavior. It becomes obvious in the second half of the film, as we get to better know Beth, his ex-wife, that Bill just always assumed that he could be controlling and abusive, and he resents how he has suffered consequences from his behavior. This also becomes starkly obvious late in the movie as we see Bill sheepishly watching old videos of his family when he was married and how scary he could come off. Time to go horsey. <laughs> oh, it's okay, horsey. It's okay, honey. Giddy up. Giddy up, giddy up. Okay. Horsey. Beth, damn it, just take her and put her on the horse. <laughs> There we go, horsey ride. Giddy up, giddy up. Put her on the horse. She's not supposed to. I mean, get the horse like that. I bought her the goddamn horse. There we go, horsey ride. Billy, you're scaring her. I want you to stop this. Douglas' performance shines the most in those scenes as he really sells both the abusive behavior of the man on tape and the shame of that same man watching it years later. Michael Douglas controls the screen as few can for most of the runtime, but when he finally encounters Duvall for the first time, one-on-one in the climax, it's just a fantastic standoff between two great actors at the height of their powers. I'll get to it a bit later. Now, I completely get how folks have been put off by this movie, or how it's now viewed as xenophobic or pro-incel. I mean, granted, some of the dialogue and the betrayals of various ethnicities has not aged well for sure. But regarding the xenophobia or the white resentment that a lot of people think it betrays, now granted, I'm white, so this is just my perspective, but I just never personally saw it that way as just about every type of person represented in this story. And I mean everyone, including the police, who are often portrayed as both comically selfish and proudly unhelpful to the public. What's wrong with you? Help! Your heart? Help! Something's wrong with your heart? Help! What can I do? Pills. Pills? Where are your pills? <laughs> well, I guess you're out of luck, aren't you? Your little cart's gonna drown. Now, aren't you sorry you didn't let me pass through your golf course? Yeah, now you're going to die wearing that stupid little hat. How does it feel? This brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. James Newton Howard composed the score for this film, and it's a pretty varied score. With subtle orchestration throughout, it really ramps up for the climax in a manner that almost sounds like the buildup to a final showdown in a Western, which I'm gathering was the intention. That showdown I referred to earlier ends up being at the end of a long pier off the coast of Venice Beach. Bill has reached the house of his ex-wife and daughter, but they're not there. He suddenly realizes that they must have gone off to the pier, which is near their house, but also very populated. And he's off. What follows is some nice scenery and camera work from Schumacher and his DP, Andre Barchovic, taking us from the end of the pier then zooming into Douglas running toward the end of that pier. And while he's running, the music kicks in with a loud dash of guitars, drums, violins, and flutes. Then an even more startling arrangement of strings and piano. It's a jolt for sure, and the track is called Venice.
It also, of course, leads pretty much directly to the trailer moment, of course, is the scener moment that best describes this movie. And this moment is what this whole film has been leading up to. One showdown between cop and criminal, good guy and bad guy, Duval versus Douglas. And yes, one of them is genuinely surprised to realize that he's the bad guy. I'm the bad guy? Yeah. It's not only a genuinely tense sequence, but it features the best dialogue of the movie before the inevitable violent conclusion. What are we going to do? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, guys like you always say you don't know what you're going to do until you do it. I think you know exactly what you were going to do. You were going to kill your wife and child. Oh. Yeah. And then you know it would be too late to turn back. It would be real easy to turn the gun around on yourself. Which brings me to the next category, wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Veteran character actress Tuesday Weld plays Pendergast's wife, and she's credited without a name, just calls her the wife, in a very over-the-top performance, which kind of serves the overall narrative, but can best be described as shrewish. And I mean 90s sitcom levels of shrewish. Now, she's not the only character who has written in this movie to be over-the-top, but for this particular role, and given that we find out later about some tragic things which occurred to both her and her husband, I would have just preferred that this character be given more depth. And it's a shame, too, because we have seen Tuesday Weld in a role like this one. In previous episode, Thief, which came out 12 years prior, in that movie, she is given a seemingly thankless role, at least on paper, as the woman who our hero, well, slash anti-hero, played by James Caan, pursues. They have some great scenes together. But in this movie, she's just one more cartoonish element for one of our two main protagonists to play off of. It's unfortunate given the caliber of actress that Tuesday Weld is. And this brings me to the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Falling Down came out 30 years ago this February. And it's funny, but I remember pretty much all of the marketing leading up to its release and its ongoing legacy afterwards, mostly referring to this as a Michael Douglas vehicle. And make no mistake, he is the main star, and he was fantastic as well. Next to Gordon Gekko from Wall Street and Jack Colton from Romancing the Stone, this could very well likely be the most iconic character that Douglas has ever played. I lost my job. Well, actually, I didn't lose it. Uh, it lost me. I'm overeducated, underskilled. Maybe said the way around, I forget. But I'm obsolete. I'm not economically viable. In the closing credits, his character is referred to as Defense, taking the name of the license plate of his character's car. That's generally how most folks remember this movie, a one-day escapade following Douglas's Defense as he makes trouble all over L.A. As far as I'm concerned, though, and I believe a lot of critics did point this out upon release, this movie is really much more of a twofer, starring two acting giants at or near the peak of their powers. Duvall's performance provides a necessary counterbalance to Douglas's, which I think is essential to the success of this movie. And this also kind of separates it from most other films of its subgenre. I mean, sure, in movies like One Hour Photo or Thelma and Louise, we spend a little bit of time with the police on their trail, often played by strong actors like Eric LaSalle or Harvey Keitel, often even giving somewhat sympathetic performances, too. But we really don't get to know them that well. And in the case of Duval's Pendergast, we get a thorough understanding of what he finds himself up against, why he's planning on retiring, and the tragic circumstances that have driven him there as well, even though I still wish that his wife was portrayed with more respect along those lines. Despite populating a story which sometimes veers in silly directions, the two lead performances still make this film work overall. As a result, Douglas and Duval are your co-MVPs. I did everything they told me to. Did you know I build missiles? Yeah. 
I helped to protect America. You should be rewarded for that. Instead, they give it to the plastic surgeon. You know, they lied to me. Is that what this is about? You're angry because you got lied to? Is that why my chicken dinner's drying out in the oven? Hey, they lie to everybody. They lie to the fish. But that doesn't give you any special right to do what you did today. My rating for falling down would be four stars out of five. Now, mileage may vary on how this movie compares to the best of its subgenre. And I'm talking about Taxi Driver, The King of Comedy, Network, Fight Club. But Falling Down is a strong version for its particular time and place, helped in no small part by two powerhouse performances from two acting powerhouses. And if you're looking to watch Falling Down, it's currently available to rent or buy on all major streaming platforms. And that ends another no longer economically viable review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.